The journey to a smoke-free future can be a long and winding road. But if you're ready for a change, consider taking Zinn for a spin. Zinn nicotine pouches offer a fresh way to discover your nicotine satisfaction. Anywhere, anytime. No smoke, no spit, and no lingering odor. Get in gear with the Zinn 10 Challenge and enjoy 10 smoke-free, spit-free days for just $5.95. Order online and start your new journey today. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Pause for a big thank you to our partner making today's program possible. Managing your diabetes just got easier. The powerful new Dexcom G7 lets you see your glucose numbers on your compatible watch and phone without finger sticks. Amazing. And because Dexcom G7 is the most accurate CGM system, you can be confident in your food, your exercise, and medication decisions. All those decisions can lead to big results like more time in range and a lower A1C. Get started at Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com slash compatibility. Thanks, Dexcom, for being our partner. Hi, guys. Nancy Grace here. Welcome back to Killers Amongst Us, a production of iHeartMedia and Crime Online. On the elevator, on the stairs, in and out the front door of the apartment complex. Who would know there is a killer amongst us? What happened to 27-year-old Ellen Greenberg? Her parents demanding answers. I'm Nancy Grace. This is Killers Amongst Us. Thank you for being with us with me. Stephanie Farr, investigative reporter, Philadelphia Inquirer. You can find her at Twitter at Far Far F-A-R-R, away. Joe Scott Morgan, professor of forensics, Jacksonville State University, author of Blood Beneath My Feet, star of a brand new hit series on True Crime Network, Poisonous Liaisons. Tom Brennan, private investigator working with the Greenbergs for justice. Dr. Angela Arnold, psychiatrist, joining us out of the Atlanta jurisdiction. You can find her at AngelaArnoldMD.com. Veteran trial lawyer, former prosecutor, now defense attorney, Daryl Cohen. You can find him at Cohen, Cooper, Estep, and Allen Law Firm. And special guest, Josh Greenberg, Ellen's father, and Sandy Greenberg, her loving mother. You can also find both of them at facebook.com slash justice for Ellen 2019. Repeat, justice for Ellen 2019. Stephanie Farr, I still, and all the homicides I've worked and investigated, I've never seen this many stab wounds on a person, including on the back of the neck deemed a suicide and I actually tried a case where the death was first deemed a suicide but based on blood spatter and computer searches that theory was disproved and there was a guilty verdict so I'm very curious about how the case was first ruled a suicide and procedurally what happened after that 
Yeah, so uh, according to my conversations with police, when they get to the scene uh, that night, they uh, carry it as a suicide for the reasons that we've mentioned before, the lack of defensive wounds, the locks, the fact that the fiancé stayed at the scene. It was only the next day at homicide that all, uh, that, that excuse me, the only next day at the um, the medical examiner's autopsy report that uh, the case was ruled a homicide when he discovered all 20 uh, of the stab wounds that Alan had suffered. At that point, police had already cleared the scene and left the apartment. People had been in and out of the apartment. And so they had to scramble, uh, the homicide unit now had to scramble to uh, start investigating this case again as a homicide. So wait a minute, let me understand, Stephanie. So the scene had been contaminated at that point. People have been in and out, correct? Correct. According to my uh, conversation with the building manager, yes, people had been in and out of the apartment after police had left it. Guys, take a listen to our friend Amanda Duarte at Accident, Suicide, or Murder. An autopsy was performed the day after Ellen died. At autopsy, 10 stab wounds to the back of the victim's neck were discovered. The autopsy revealed approximately 19 stab wounds and one cut wound. The decedent had multiple wounds to the front of her body as well as to the back of her neck. She had approximately 10 stab wounds to the back aspect of her neck. It's difficult to inflict those type of wounds on yourself. The examination also revealed that Ellen had multiple bruises over parts of her body. What caused the bruising? Some of them were relatively new, some were a little bit older. She could have engaged in some contact sport. She could have bumped into certain things. It could be done from a blow of the fist. Contact sports? Wait a minute. Sandy, uh, I, I believe I recall you, Josh, telling me she played softball earlier in her life, but what contact sport would that have been at age 27? There was no contact sports. It was the middle of winter. Uh, just ridiculous. Ridiculous contact sports. Guys, also take a listen to our friend Jan Carabello at CBS3 Philly. She was stabbed 20 times, half of the wounds to the back of her neck. You talk to any reasonable person, and they all say, what the hell is going on? Tom Brennan logged 25 years with the Pennsylvania State Police and worked at the FBI's Behavioral Science Unit in Quantico, Virginia. Now retired, he has worked nearly seven years pro bono with the Greenbergs investigating Ellen's death. I said, this is a homicide. But the medical examiner's report says there was no sign of a struggle. Nothing was obviously missing or disturbed. Only Ellen's DNA was found on the knife in her chest, and Ellen had no defense injuries to her hands or forearms. Still, Brennan says none of that proves this was suicide. Didn't they ever hear a blitz where a victim doesn't get the opportunity to defend themselves? Or if you had your back toward the intruder and you're standing at the sink slicing up fruit, you never would know what hit you. But in light of now 20 stab wounds, Take a listen to this. When the autopsy was over, the medical examiner issued a ruling that directly contradicted the initial findings of police investigators. The medical examiner believed it was a homicide. One of the most striking things was the fact that a knife was still embedded in this young woman's chest. There is a significant degree of force probably needed to inflict that type of wound. That certainly is indicative of a homicide. The Emmy's homicide ruling officially turned Ellen's case into a murder investigation. 
as the Greenbergs prepared to bury their only child. So Stephanie Farr with me the, from the Philadelphia Inquirer. Stephanie, at first it was deemed a suicide because cops apparently didn't realize the number of stab wounds that Ellen sustained. But then after the autopsy, the medical examiner declared it was a homicide? Right. So after the medical examiner declares it a homicide, police have to then go back and open a homicide investigation on the case. Uh, in my 13-year career uh, in Philadelphia, this is the only instance where I have seen that police actually uh, publicly uh, went against the findings of the medical examiner's office. So the medical examiner's office releases their homicide findings. And uh, on January 29th, by January 29th, police are telling the media in Philadelphia that despite the homicide ruling, authorities were leaning towards suicide in Ellen's case and looking into, quote, any mental issues she might have had. I I don't understand how a police officer, and I've been in law enforcement myself as a prosecutor, but I certainly know my limitations. How would a cop better know COD than a medical examiner? They they would not, uh, it, to my understanding, and, um, you know, there was a back and forth, it seems, between the medical examiner's office and the police department for some time before the medical examiner's office made the rare decision to flip-flop its, its ruling and, and label Ellen's case a suicide instead of a homicide. Did the medical examiner's office give any reason for reversing their decision it was a homicide? No, the medical examiner's office gave no public reasoning to the press here in Philadelphia and to the best of my knowledge at the time gave no reasoning to her family either. And police didn't explain uh, to to us either. And at the time in in Philadelphia, all we knew were uh, that there was multiple stab wounds. We did not know uh, the nature and extent of the wounds that, that Ellen had suffered that day. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. The journey to a smoke-free future can be a long and winding road. But if you're ready for a change, consider taking Zen for a spin. Zen nicotine pouches offer a fresh way to discover your nicotine satisfaction. Anywhere anytime. No smoke, no spit, and no lingering odor. Ready to start your new journey? Get in gear with the Zen 10 Challenge. Enjoy Zen nicotine pouches for 10 days and discover a fresher way to experience nicotine satisfaction anywhere, anytime. Here's how to get started with the Zen 10 Challenge. Simply pick your strength and varieties online and check out. Once your Zen nicotine pouches arrive in the mail, enjoy pure nicotine satisfaction at your leisure. After your 10-day trial, let us know what you think. If Zen isn't for you, no hard feelings. It's that simple. Order online at Zen.com. That's Z-Y-N.com to start your new journey today with the Zen 10 Challenge. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. To Ellen's dad, Josh Greenberg. Josh, I just... At her funeral, there at the synagogue, you divulge 
this is no longer deemed a suicide. This is a homicide. What was the look on the fiance's face when that came out? Not, not stunned. Let me point out yet again, no one has been named a POI, person of interest, much less a suspect in this case. I would like to go back for a second, uh, Nancy, if we could. Tom Brennan, in his investigation, spoke to the medical examiner about this event of the change. I'd like Tom to uh, explain the conversation he had with the ME. Oh, yes, please do, Tom. When I first got involved in the investigation, one of the first things I wanted to do was speak with the pathologist that performed the autopsy, Dr. Osborne, Marlon Osborne. I called uh, the medical examiner's office, uh, the director's, Dr. Sam Galino, and Dr. Sam Galino uh, stated that he would not permit me to interview Dr. Osborne. But over time, uh, I was persistent, and um, over time, once I got Dr. Ross involved, uh, Dr. Galino relented and sent me an email and said that, well, since Dr. Ross and Dr. Osborne are medical professionals, he would permit a conference call to occur. So we had a conference call, and we hit that conference call took place in the uh, Dauphin County Coroner's office. President was Dr. Ross, the Dauphin County Coroner, Graham Hetrick, and myself. Dr. Ross uh, asked Dr. Osborne, a number of questions. There was a lot of back and forth. Then I began uh, uh, asking Dr. Osborne some questions. My last question to him was, tell me why you would change the cause and manner of death from homicide to suicide. And he said, well, I did that at the insistence of the police because the police said there was a lack of defense wounds. And I said, did any of those police officers have a degree in pathology? And with that, the call ended. So Nancy. <laughs> that and that 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 call was witnessed by Dr. Ross and the Dauphin County Coroner Graham Hetrick. So what about it, Joe Scott? I hear you breaking in. Go. Yeah, I got. I, I don't even know where to begin with this. I think the biggest question I would have is that we've heard all about the cops uh, at the scene. All right. I want to know what representatives from the from the Philadelphia Medical Examiner's Office were physically at the scene. It's my understanding that they employed their own investigators. Did anybody go there and do an assessment? Because let me tell you what happened. I know what the conversation was. The next day, after the autopsy, there was a phone call that was made to the PD. And there was a conversation among the detectives that started with the words, oh, shit. Because they realized at that moment in time that they had screwed up at the scene. I agree with what Tom is saying here relative to, you know, who are they to make a determination as to whether or not something is suicide or homicide? And let me tell you one more thing, if you like that bit. When you tell police officers at a scene, whoever made this this grand diagnosis at the scene, when you tell them at that moment in time, that this is a suicide and you make that proclamation at the scene, guess what you see, Nancy? Elbows and tail holes headed for the door because at that point, their interest completely diminishes, completely diminishes. So the steps that we normally take at a crime scene and examining bodies and relative to evidence and, and blood staining and all that stuff, it goes out the door. 
So yeah, they're having to backtrack now. And this is what happened. I can tell you, this is, this is where the proverbial, you know, uh, chain got all kinked up at this point. There's one word to describe it. It comes down to laziness. Laziness. They're covering their rear ends on this based on everything I've heard. And there's also a particular aspect of the medical examiner findings, um, in addition to everything else, if you can imagine it, that has me um, very puzzled. Take a listen to our friend Amanda Duarte. When I was assigned to the homicide unit in the DA's office, I was given the blessing to officially look into this file and review it. When examining the crime scene photos, several things struck the prosecutor as odd. She's seated on the kitchen floor. Most of her upper body is leaning up against the cabinetry. Alongside of one of her nostrils, there was a straight line of blood that ran from the nostril to the back of the ear. There was no drag marks, there was no dripping. And so it was a straight line. So if you're in a seated upright position and there's blood running horizontally, it's impossible. That would have been physically impossible for blood to run horizontally from the nose to the ear. Absolutely impossible. So let me understand what's happening now. So the cops say it's a suicide because they don't know there are 20 plus stab wounds. They say there's no defensive wounds, even though the leg and the arm on the right side are covered with stab wounds, signifying to me she may have curled up in a ball and continued to be stabbed. That's the sort of defensive wound you get um, on your legs and arms on one side because you're lying on the other side. The next day, when all of this comes out, it is then ruled a homicide, but under intense pressure, the medical examiner turns, flips, and makes it a suicide. Okay. Stephanie Farr, Philadelphia Inquirer, what happened then? Once the case was ruled a homicide by the medical examiner's office, the Philadelphia Police Department then has to come back and start an investigation pretty much anew. According to my understanding, I will just add that uh, I believe um, that Ellen's body, from my conversations with the building manager, was actually left in that apartment till three or four in the morning. She actually had to call police to come and and take Ellen's body to the medical examiner's office. Um, So police, after the the medical examiner's office rules it a homicide, uh, they have to come and redo their investigation. So they go through those steps and one of the major things that they ended up relying on for their uh, uh, suicide finding is a, a neuropathology report that was uh, supposed to have been conducted on Ellen's spinal cord by a very famous neuropathologist here in Philadelphia, Dr. Lucy Rourke Adams. Um, in that report, there's only a single line in of that report mentioned in Ellen's final autopsy um, report. And it just says, neuropathologist, Dr. Lucy, and then they spell her name wrong, Uh, examined the spinal cord and concluded there's no defect to the spinal cord. But when I contacted Dr. Rourke Adams about this report, uh, she uh, said that she uh, did not remember doing it um, and uh, that if there was no reporter bill for her services, which Guy DeAndrea could never find in in his looking through the case files, then she would conclude that, that she may have not done that, you know. So that's a huge question remaining is that there supposedly was this neuropathology report 
done on this section of Ellen's spinal cord to determine whether the knife uh, stabbed it and would have made her made it impossible for her to move. But nobody has ever seen that report. There is no bill for that report. And the person who supposedly conducted that report did not remember doing that examination. Well, speaking of the spinal cord, take a listen to our friend Amanda Duarte in Accident, Suicide, or Murder. Guy D'Andrea discovered that a portion of Ellen's spinal cord was still at the Emmy's office. When I learned that they actually kept a piece of Ellen's spinal column, I said, that should be examined. It was around the time that I knew I would be leaving the district attorney's office. Once I leave, I have no, I have no more official capacity over this file. DeAndrea contacted Tom Brennan to let him know about the specimen. The spinal column exists. It's at the medical examiner's office. I have spoken to the chief medical examiner who has given a blessing to bring someone in. I contact the medical examiner's office in Philadelphia, get permission to have my neuroforensic pathologist come in and examine the specimen. And I didn't hear anything for quite some time. I, it was months. Tom Brennan reached back out to me and said, we have the findings. You have two scenarios. Spinal column unpierced, suicide. Spinal column pierced, murder. The findings were when the knife entered, it severed the spinal cord. Well, there's really no question, but yet there is more evidence. Listen. The Greenberg's expert discovered something else from the autopsy photos. Not only did Ellen sustain multiple bruises over her body, but there were also other suspicious markings. The neuroforensic pathologist found what appears to be a scratch on the neck and finger marks. And there was a hemorrhage found near the throat. Neuroforensic pathologist said, that's an indication of manual strangulation. We know that Ellen had extensive bruises all over her body. We don't know how they occurred, and we frankly can't explain them because she was not involved in physical sports, and there were no other activities that we can think of that she was involved in that could attribute or cause those kind of injuries. I want to know why there was bruising in various stages of healing. That is a question I have. As a mother, why was my daughter's body bruised? To you, Tom Brennan, private investigator on the Greenberg case, after it was flipped and determined to be a suicide, what happened next? Well, that's when, um, you know, I, I, I informed the Greenbergs that because of all the pushback we were getting, you know, from a political standpoint, I said there are some, you know, we have to get... We have to get to the media and get this out because with the media, that's stronger than a bullet. So that's when uh, I contacted several jur journalists who uh, were involved initially in doing stories, and I contacted Stephanie. And Stephanie was the only one that that call that returned my call. And uh, that's when Stephanie, I provided Stephanie with all, all the information that I had. She went out and spent a, a little over a year validating everything that I gave her. And that's when she published her, her story in the Inquirer. Um, as a result of that, in the meantime, uh, we were doing the, the examinations with uh, the examinations were being conducted by Dr. Roth. Um, I had befriended 
uh, Guy D'Andrea in the uh, district attorney's office, and Guy got permission to review the file. And then I subsequently, um, I asked the Greenbergs to, there was a change in district attorneys. Uh, Mr. Larry Krasner. Okay, you know what? I'm getting this all lost in the sauce. So, first suicide, then homicide, then suicide. Okay. In a nutshell, what happened next? Did it go to a higher arbiter? Did the attorney general look at the state AG? What happened next? I got in touch with the district attorney's office, Mr. Krasner. And uh, he wouldn't speak to me, so I had the Greenberg, since Mr. Krasner was their first attorney, initially when he was had his civil practice, um, I had them ask for their personal file. And uh, they contacted him and asked for their personal file, and the response that they got was, I gave it to you, which is not true. Then I asked them. Then I asked them to file a complaint with the state disciplinary board, which they did. The state disciplinary board come, came back and said, "Mr. Krasner said he gave it to you." At that time, Mr. Krasner recused himself and forwarded the file to the attorney, state attorney general's office, the DA's file, and and the attorney general's office got involved. Following that. For a year, or approximately a year, we heard nothing. Right prior to Stephanie publishing her article, getting her article published, she contacted the Attorney General's office. Stephanie Farr from the Philadelphia Inquirer, leading the charge to find the truth, alerted the media. Take a listen to what Matt Petrillo with CBS3 Philly has to say. Their attorney is using a technology called photogrammetry to prove the case is a homicide. Greenberg's legal team recreated her anatomical and physiological attributes, showing it would be impossible for Greenberg to stab herself in the back of her head multiple times. One of the wounds was so deep it would have paralyzed her. Which means she could not have completed the remaining wounds. How powerful is this evidence? I think it's so powerful that it's clear to me that there's a murderer walking among us, or murderers, and that is frightening from my vantage point. And the attorney also tells us that photogrammetry is not the only evidence that points to Ellen Greenberg's death as a homicide. Stephanie Farr, Philadelphia Inquirer, what happened then? So early on, early on in my investigation, I contacted the attorney general's office and told them that I was looking into this story. They told me they were doing their, their own investigation, but I never heard from them about any findings. So right before my article was published, I reached back out to them to see where their investigation stood. And uh, according to the spokesman for the M, for the um, AG's office, the attorney general's office, uh, they provided me a statement that said their office had done a thorough investigation into the case and that a search history from Ellen's computer and uh, records from her cell phone indicated um, that she had, um, uh, you know, done searches on her computer for uh, terms related to suicide. Now, that information directly contradicts information in the in the medical examiner's report from 2011 that said that investigators searched her computers and found nothing indicative of suicide
I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. The journey to a smoke-free future can be a long and winding road. But if you're ready for a change, consider taking Zen for a spin. Zen nicotine pouches offer a fresh way to discover your nicotine satisfaction anywhere, anytime. No smoke, no spit, and no lingering odor. Ready to start your new journey? Get in gear with the Zen 10 Challenge. Enjoy Zen nicotine pouches for 10 days and discover a fresher way to experience nicotine satisfaction anywhere, anytime. Here's how to get started with the Zen 10 Challenge. Simply pick your strength and varieties online and check out. Once your Zen nicotine pouches arrive in the mail, enjoy pure nicotine satisfaction at your leisure. After your 10-day trial, let us know what you think. If Zen isn't for you, no hard feelings. It's that simple. Order online at zen.com. That's zyn.com to start your new journey today with the Zen 10 Challenge. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. So, Stephanie Farr, Philadelphia Inquirer, you're telling me that at the time, police reviewed her computer and found nothing regarding uh, searches for suicide or anything to indicate she had committed suicide. But then later, you learn the AG says, oh, no, 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 we found evidence searches of suicide. Exactly, exactly. And uh, they could not. Uh, explain to me the uh, the discrepancy there. You know, when I asked about it, you know, why does the report from 2011 indicate that, uh, you know, her computers were searched and nothing was found, while your report seven years later, seven, eight years later, says that things were found. And according to the spokesman uh, for the attorney general's office, he said, we cannot say if anyone, police or prosecutor, ever looked at the computers, even though it's indicated in the reports from 2011 that they did. Back to the Greenbergs, Josh, her father, joining us along with her mom, Sandy. Josh, isn't it true that you guys hired your own expert who found nothing on her computer relating to death or suicide? That is true. Um, Since the attorney general was, was saying his thorough investigation and putting such an emphasis on this, the FBI had already told the Philadelphia police they found nothing. We hired a forensic computer expert, and they found nothing. What they found, they found nothing that Ellen had looked up uh, suicide or had a uh, fetish or interest in suicide, either uh, non, non uh, hurting or hurting. So we really feel that the whole thing the attorney general did was bogus. But I don't understand their motivation. And isn't it true you asked and asked and asked to see the OAG, Office of Attorney General's, report that they did the computer forensic search, and you couldn't get it, couldn't get it, couldn't get it. They still haven't produced it we, to this at day. At the time we approached the Attorney General, we had a former Attorney General for the Commonwealth working with us. We offered the Attorney General's office all of our information, our mountain of evidence, 
But I think something that, that I'd like Tom to talk about is a classic, pivotal meeting that he had with two former Philadelphia district attorney, assistant district attorneys who now worked for the attorney general. Tom? Um, when I, when I uh, learned of these um, findings on the searches, we arranged for a meeting with the attorney general's office. And it, it's, it's, this is almost comical. Uh, the same individuals who were in the DA's office at the time this, this incident occurred are the same individuals who are now in the attorney general's office and supposedly conducted this thorough investigation of theirs. Okay. But in the course of things, I had a meeting with the, um, supervising attorney of the criminal investigation division for the attorney general's office and the attorney general's chief of staff. And, uh, in the, in the course of that meeting, they mentioned their findings and I asked them when, when was the test performed? They couldn't, they couldn't reply. I asked them who did it. Uh, could they identify the forensic analysts for the FBI that did it? No, no response. Um, I asked them several questions and I didn't get a response for any of my, any of my questions. Uh, they asked me, they said, why are you asking me these questions? And I said, well, I know where those computers have been since September of 05. So when in the hell did you people conduct this examination? And, uh, they, no response. Then two days later, the former attorney general that was working with us received a call from the chief of staff. And she said that she told this, she told uh, the attorney general that the former attorney general that she informed the senior attorney general that was in charge of the investigation to supply us with a copy of the report. To date, we still haven't gotten a copy of that report. Isn't it true, as a matter of fact, your forensic analysis, your expert forensic analysis, and the FBI analysis both refute the Attorney General's conclusion regarding searches on Ellen's computer had any obsession with death or suicide leading up to her death? Both your independent expert and the FBI analysis are diametrically opposed to the attorney general's analysis is that correct tom brennan that's correct that is correct let me ask you sandy and josh the idea of pursuing a lawsuit over the medical examiner's suicide ruling a philadelphia judge ruled that ellen's family with us today josh and sandy can move forward with a lawsuit against the medical examiner's office to remove the suicide ruling as her official cause of death. What led you to that lawsuit, Josh Greenberg? Justice for Ellen. We want the truth. I, I don't uh, That's the only way I can answer your question. I'm sorry, Nancy. It's more involved. I apologize. But this makes no sense. This is total BS. There are a number of simple things. I know we talked a lot, a lot of technology and professional uh, things, but 
just some simple things out there that we didn't even mention. Uh, the fact that our forensic pathologist found that there were two types of knife wounds, a smooth and a serrated. The fact that three, three years, excuse me, three months after the case was closed, somebody in the police department sent the photos to another forensic pathologist in Florida, and she couldn't believe that they had said this was a suicide. And Tom, just by happenstance, uh, serendipity, happened to be talking to her, and she told him the story. Um, I don't know what else. There are other things. The, the, uh, the note in the autopsy by Dr. Rourke is, is, is BS. Dr. Rourke never saw that. We met, it's a fraudulent met, paragraph. We met with the medical examiner, and we questioned him. Does Dr. Rourke, the day before, send in a bill and a report on a, on a case? Yes. Day after, yes, she sent it. Dr. Rourke is noted, and I mean this in the strictest and nicest way I can put it, that if you ask Dr. Rourke what time it is, it's going to be part of an itemized bill she's going to give you. Dr. Rourke bills very strictly. But it's all BS. And the attorney general is BS, too. And, Nancy, what you have to understand, uh, when it comes to the technical part of this, invest this investigation, um, though the, the fiancé's laptop, the victim's laptop, personal laptop, and her work laptop and her cell phone were removed by a prominent attorney uncle the morning of the 27th of January when the autopsy was being performed. The uncle and his son entered the apartment with the guise of, we have to get a suit for, our, for the fiance for the funeral. But at that time they removed all of those items. So in a court of law, anything, and the police never, never uh, got access to those items until the 29th. So, as far as the chain of evidence is concerned, would the court accept anything that came off those came off those items? Yeah, and that's what the attorney general is trying to use as rationale. Well, you know what? You can contest the chain of custody, but that does not necessarily indicate that item will be thrown out of evidence, right, Daryl? I mean, you can contest the chain, oh, absolutely. but that doesn't mean that that contest is going to be successful. Well, absolutely. You can complain, you, but you. But what we really need is what the forensic evidence says uh, that was in the computer. Whether they physically removed the computer is one thing. Whether or not they were able to bleach the items in the computer, that is clearly another. Well, I have a question to... Ellen's mom, Sandy, the, the other side keeps throwing up a text, a particular text that they say Ellen sent to you, quote, I'm starting the med. I know you don't understand, but I can't keep living with feeling this way. Did you get a text like that? I, I suppose I did. Did anybody ever think she meant living in that relationship? I thought it was. I can't keep on like this. I thought it meant it was in reference to how she fe felt on the medication. Ah, I see what you mean. Or not taking the I medication. Just feel I don't that know. That aside, that that text that could be construed in so many different ways. I I thought it meant Correct. that I can't take the relationship anymore. But it could be. That aside, that has nothing to do with the physical aspect 
of the autopsy and what the findings were. I could write a text like that uh, in a moment of anger about my husband. I can't keep living like this. And then the house burns down. But that doesn't mean I struck the match, does it? Because I wrote that text. Um, I think that's Josh. Go ahead. That's it, Nancy. If Ellen had put sandwich boards on and walked around Rittenhouse Square saying what this says was, and then you go look at the crime scene, it's incongruent that she committed suicide. Has nothing to do with it. So what, if anything, can be done now, Josh, outside the lawsuit that you are bringing in? What is the status of the lawsuit? Well, I believe we have a court date. I believe Philadelphia has tried to prevent us from having a court date, and they were turned down. I believe we are trying to depose witnesses like the medical examiner who makes an appointment and then cancels the appointment saying he has things to do. I believe we're being stonewalled like we have for 10 years. January 26th, I'm bad with dates. January 26th, 2011. Was 10 years after Ellen's death. And aside from time, there's been emotional effort, immense financial effort to bring the truth out. We're not just doing this for Ellen. Yes, Ellen, justice for Ellen. But there are other families and other people who have suffered this type of treatment, I'm going to call it, from uh, political officials. We don't know the why, but we know that we have a mountain of evidence, and we know that a mountain, millions of people in this world have reviewed this case as not experts necessarily and don't believe this was a suicide. So we don't know why and we don't know how, but they are trying to stonewall us. And we're not happen. Words of my wife, we're not going anywhere. Oh, how I want justice. And again, let me point out that no one has been named a POI, person of interest, much less a suspect in this case. No one. We wait as justice unfolds, and I guarantee you, when that case goes to trial, I'm going to be on the front row by God. Nancy Grace, Killers Amongst Us, signing off. Goodbye, friend. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought... In that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Zen Nicotine Pouches deliver nicotine satisfaction anywhere, anytime. Which means Zen pairs well with you, your personality, your schedule, and your spontaneity. Zen fits easily into your bag, pocket, and into your life. Because it's smoke-free, hands-free, and hassle-free. So the only person who will know you have a Zen pouch in is you. Visit Zen.com or head to your local convenience store today to find your Zen. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. 
Pause for a big thank you to our partner making today's program possible. Managing your diabetes just got easier. The powerful new Dexcom G7 lets you see your glucose numbers on your compatible watch and phone without finger sticks. Amazing. And because Dexcom G7 is the most accurate CGM system, you can be confident in your food, your exercise, and medication decisions. All those decisions can lead to big results like more time in range and a lower A1C. Get started at Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com slash compatibility. Thanks, Dexcom, for being our partner. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.